We have been, the last couple weeks, um, trying to encourage and build up our love and appreciation for, for this word. It's easy for us to go through life, and especially in a culture where uh, truth is oftentimes rejected and pushed away, it's easy to uh, just think of this as just an old dusty book that doesn't do much for us anymore. And yet, we are trying in this series called Hidden Blessings to kind of remind ourselves that when we bring ourselves to this word, and we allow it to bring itself into our life, that there are these hidden blessings that begin to work their way into um, and, and through our lives. As an example, last week we, we looked at Psalm 119, which is kind of the base, base passage that we've used for this series. And, and we, we looked at this prayer, that if you want God's word to make a difference in your life, begin with a prayer like this. We looked at verses 33 through 40 last week, but today I, want to, I just want to listen to these words again, because I think they lead into what we're going to say here today. Verse 36 says, 36 says, turn my heart to your decrees and not to dishonest profit. Turn my eyes from looking at what is worthless and give me life in your ways. It is easy for us to get so distracted and so allured with all the stuff of this world. And again, coming to God honestly and saying, God, I'm gonna read this. I may not understand everything I read. I don't, there's things in this book that are confusing to me, but, but God, I need you to focus my eyes because my eyes are drawn elsewhere. I need you to focus my life, focus my eyes, focus me on your word and what you are saying to me in your word. And so when we do that, one of the things that God does is he gives us direction we looked at last week. He, he gives us direction for our life and, and a direction for our life. And so today we want to go back a few more uh, paragraphs in Psalm 119. If you remember, we've said that Psalm 119 is, a, is kind of a, a poem written uh, with each paragraph, each stanza, 22 of them, beginning with a different Hebrew alphabet letter. And so last week, does anybody remember what letter we looked at? Anybody? Hey, hey, don't, don't talk to me that way. Hey, no, no, hey is right. Hey is right on. So if you were here last week and you remembered, hey, that's points for you, first of all, uh, but that's, that's one Hebrew letter that you didn't know before, and now you know. We're going to add another Hebrew letter to your vocabulary, too, so maybe you can add this uh, sometime to you. It's, it's, the, it's the word mem, not quite as fun as hey, but mem, okay? It, it's, a, it's a Hebrew letter, kind of our equivalent of the letter M, and uh, we're going to go back to Psalm 119, verse 97. If you've got a Bible, flip back there a couple, couple of sections, a couple page or two back there. And uh, we're going to talk, not only does God's word give us, wis- or give us direction, but it gives us wisdom and clarity. Um, we live in a confusing world, right? You don't have to live very long, um, get up very long in the morning before you, you find confusion, uh, a fog that's in our world that it's just hard to know what's right, what to do, what is, what's the right thing to do, who's the right person to be. It's just confusing. And I think the world loves that. It loves the moral ambiguity, the, the confusion, because when it's confusing, then everybody can just do whatever they want to do. And that's really the philosophy of our age is that you just do you, every, that person will do them. And there's nothing above us that kind of unifies or calls us towards truth, uh, a, a thing that would unify us or say this is, this is the way forward. And yet God's word comes to us and it, it doesn't create ambiguity it creates clarity it creates this is a right and a wrong this is a good better and a best for our life and and the bible is pretty good about that but we'll never experience that clarity and that wisdom if we don't engage with god's word and so 
last week in the passage we looked at, in those 30, 35 verses uh, of Psalm 119, we, be, we looked at that each one of those um, stanzas began with a request. God, turn my eyes or turn my life or lead me or direct me. It, it just had every, it was the one, one stanza in the whole chapter in which every uh, sentence begins with a request, a petition of God. Well, today we reverse that. We're, we're going to read verses 97 uh, and following here in a moment. And, and what you'll find is that there are no requests. They are observations. They are reflections. And, and, and I think you could almost put them side by side and say, hey, this is, if you request these things and live out of these requests and this prayer, what you're going to find in your life is that you're going to find these good things, these observations that you're going to begin to note in your life as well. And so uh, we're going to look today at, at the wisdom and clarity that God brings to us. I experienced a need for clarity early on in my driving life. I was a 16, 17-year-old kid driving my, uh, my fancy old 1976 Buick Regal um, that uh, was more of a boat than it was a car, but it got me where I needed to go for a few years of my early life. And I, was, uh, I, I learned very early on that I'd gone out to a, a friend's house and several of us had driven there. We were coming back into town. In order to get to town, you had to drive several miles on this dry, dusty gravel road. And being the young people that we were, you just think, well, we're just going to drive as fast as we can. We shouldn't do that, kids. Don't drive that at home. But we were driving faster than we probably should have. And I was following the person ahead of me too close, even though it was dusty and cloudy and I could not see the person ahead of me. I knew they were there because I was following their dust cloud, but I didn't know where they were because it was foggy. There was dust. And, and so we're cruising along. And I uh, quickly realized the area of my ways when we were passing a large farm that was along the road and the farmer was coming the opposite direction and he passed my friend going this way and didn't see me because of the cloud of dust. And so in order to get into his farm, he pulled over on my side of the road to make a wide turn into his driveway. And so lo and behold, uh, little Mr., uh, Mr. Mr. White Car here driving down the road too fast, looks up and out of this cloud comes this large farm truck that is just right there before me. And I'd seen the Dukes of Hazard a few times, so I knew what to do. And so I just yanked on the wheel to the right as far as I could go. And I, I could, it's one of those mental images that kind of slows down in time that you could just see, I don't know what, what kind of truck it was, but you could just see the grill, you could see the truck right there and scared me to death. And I went spinning into his yard in my car and uh, tore his yard to pieces, but he didn't say a word about his yard because I think he almost killed me. And so he let that slide. Um, but it just reminded me of, man, being in a cloud, being in a fog is never a comfortable place to be. It, it creates uncertainty. It creates doubt. It creates just a sense of confusion in our life. And the beauty of God's word is that as we, again, give ourselves to it, and as it pours itself into us, there is this growing sense of not arrogance, but a certainty. Not a, I'm better than you, but a, hey, here's a really good path that your heavenly father has given to you to follow and to walk on and to live in. And so I hope today that as we kind of walk through this passage that we will encourage ourselves in a world again that feels very cloudy and foggy sometimes, that there is a way forward for us that, that involves some wisdom, it involves some clarity in our life. Okay, so Psalm 119, beginning in verse 97, says these beautiful words. How I love your instruction. Really, I, I thought about stopping right there, because I think if you get to this place where you can honestly say this, 
everything else kind of falls into place. If you come at God's word from, oh, how I love your instruction, everything else is pretty much going to fall into place pretty quickly. But let's read on. How I love your instruction. It is my meditation all day long. Your commands make me wiser than my enemies, for they are always with me. I have more insight than all my teachers because your decrees are my meditation. I understand more than the elders because I obey your precepts. We're not going to talk much about these verses, but just note that this isn't an arrogant young man who's saying, I don't need old people in my life. This is not that verse. There's not that verse in the Bible, actually. There is, this is not what that's saying. This is talking about a man who is following God intently. And whether the teachers in his life, whether the older people in his life were living right, wrong, whatever, he's just finding this wisdom from God as he personally is seeking and is following and is, is surrendering himself to God's instructions and his will and his word. And so he moves on to say this, that I have kept my feet from every evil path to follow your word. I have not turned from your judgments for you yourself have instructed me. That's the key part of this thing, part of it. I think that there's this personal relationship thing. It's not just a dry uh, text to him. There is personal relationship. There is instruction from God to a person that is being received there. And he concludes again where he began. How sweet your words, word is to my taste, sweeter than honey in my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts. Therefore, I hate every false way. And so you read those words. Again, no Petitions, they're just observation. They're just reflection upon a life that is, is enjoying the process of God working in his life. And so as you read it, I think, uh, I, I, in your sermon outline, I, I think I listed five things. If I could give you a poster board, I would have made a circle because I think there's a cycle going on in this passage. There is a cycle of, of beginning and it cycles through several, I don't like the word steps, but there's several steps or, or processes he's engaged in that lead you back to the beginning. And as the process grows, I, I think your love and your appreciation for God's word grows deeper and deeper. And so as we write, list these five things in order, just mentally I want you to think in a circle here of what's going on in this passage. Where does this begin? It begins, number one, with he loves learning from the Lord. His appreciation, his wisdom that he is gaining, the clarity that he is gaining about his life begins because he loves learning from the Lord. He just loves it. He doesn't just do it. Not routine. It's not empty ritual for him. He loves that. And if you've ever had the privilege to teach anybody anything, if you find somebody who is an eager learner, hey, hey they ask questions, they want to know more, they want to dig in more to it, boy, there's a treasure hidden right there because that's fun, right? And, and that's the attitude of this guy as he writes, whether it's David, whoever it was, as he writes this, that he loves learning from the Lord. He just loves that. How I love your instruction later on, how sweet your word is to my taste, sweeter than honey in my mouth. That is a great trait, to love learning from your God. And if we're honest, how often do we have that attitude about us? Um, part of the reason that we don't probably read our Bibles as much as we should is, is we just don't love learning from God. It just, there's not a love there that drives that um, because the things that I love, the things that my heart are drawn to, I'm going to make time for them. Uh, whether it's a sporting event, whether it's the latest movie or TV show or whatever it is. I'm gonna, if I love something, I'm going to lean into it. I'm going to give myself to it. And yet so oftentimes we, we grow bored 
with God. We grow stale and his word feels stale to us and our minds are lazy and lethargic and, and I would take you back to last week's sermon where those verses we read is if we begin there, that God, you have something to say to me, so teach me, lead me, train my eyes, train my feet. If that's my prayer going into it, that certainly is going to feed into my loving of God's word as I read it and learning from it. But the, the writer of this psalm, he begins his, his, his growth with God with, uh, I just love to learn from you, Lord. I love your instruction. And so I think it's important when he uses that little honey reference, how oftentimes it's worth noting in Scripture that, that the Bible is very much using the parallel of your physical body and its physical needs and its physical hunger to parallel spiritual growth and spiritual hunger that your soul needs. For example, Jesus would say it in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. Again, there's a hunger for God. I want this. I want to know what's right so that I can do what's right, so that I can be right and, and I can just have righteousness grow in my life because that's what I hunger and I thirst for spiritually. John, in chapter four, Jesus would say these words, whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling to eternal life. And so not just drink, Jesus says, that he is for us, for our souls, but he's also bread in John chapter six. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty and Jesus follows that up in, in the next chapter. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood in a loud voice, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, streams of living water will flow from within him. So again, Jesus was big on this whole food thing. He knows that we get food. Our bodies crave food. Our bodies crave water. We know that thirst and that hunger and Jesus said, spiritually, your soul is exactly the same way. It hungers, it thirsts. And yet, what are we filling the appetite with? That's what we'll come to in a second. Listen to these, though. Jesus isn't the only one who does this. Isaiah says this, or God says it through Isaiah. In Isaiah 55, it says, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? So again, that, that invitation from God that I want to pour sustenance into your soul through the things I'm gonna tell you. Psalm 63 paints the same picture. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. And in the very last few verses of your Bible in Revelation chapter 22, 17, the invitation is this. The spirit and the bride say come. Let him who hears say come. Say, hears say come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. So there is this invitation from God to drink him in, to eat him, to, to feed the soul off of what he gives to us. And God's word is that, is that vehicle that that happens through for us in most ways. And so you and I are invited to feed that. But again, why do we sometimes not? It's because we, as Isaiah would say, why are we spending money on what is not bread and your labor and what does not satisfy? We tend to chase trivial things, right? Last week, turn my eyes away from worthless things. We get drawn into worthless things. Sometimes my wife will make a, a delicious meal. They're all delicious, but she makes not, I, I, let me say that correctly. My wife always makes delicious meals. 
sometimes, sorry, I get myself in trouble. Um, they're always delicious, but sometimes some of my children will not want to wait the hour till it's ready or whatever, and they'll fill themselves up with cereal, crackers, chips, good tasty things, but but not really good things, not, not the meat and the meal that could be theirs, but they satisfy themselves with lesser things. And so you and I can do the same thing. That's the danger that our hearts are always torn between is, is chasing after trivial, worthless things, hoping that they will satisfy us and hoping they will meet the needs of our soul and hoping they will make us happy and hoping they'll give us a purpose for our life and hoping they'll do these things for us, making us feel valued and loved, but they just don't. Over and over and over again, we're just hungry and thirsty again when God is over here saying, I have a meal for you. I have something over here for you that's really, really good. And so the psalmist apparently had learned this lesson that, hey, I've spent enough time chasing worthless things. The meal is over here. The meal is over here where God, my heavenly father, wants to meet with me, speak into my life through his instructions and his statutes and teach me about himself and feed me. And so God, turn me away from worthless things, lead me to you. And when he's done that, he's learned to say, I love this. This is the good stuff. It's worth waiting, saying no to this stuff because this is the stuff I love. It feeds me. It, it does something in my life. And so he is learning because he's loving what he's reading. There's this hungry attitude that he reflects and that leads us to the second part of this cycle. It, it, he goes on, he, because he is learning, he learns by lingering over his lessons. There's a lot of L's in that sentence, but he learns by lingering over his lessons, right? We, what is lingering? Lingering is that thing like sometimes husbands stand outside there because wives are lingering in here talking or vice versa. Sometimes the roles are reversed, but, but you know that. Yes, I know. Yeah, we're an equal opportunity offender up here. And so uh, w when there's lingering taking place, that means you're sometimes there's little rest or restaurants or parking lots, but no loitering. You're lingering in our parking lot and we don't want you here, right? So go, li go linger someplace else. But what a beautiful picture I think that is of what, why does the psalmist loving God's word? It's not because he reads it and then forgets it and walks away from it and goes about his day. He's learning and he's loving it because he's lingering over it. He's lingering over the things that he reads. His word for it is, it is my meditation all day long. I just, throughout my day, I'm thinking in the back of my mind, this thing I read, how does that apply to me? And what's, let's plunge deeper into that verse. And what does this word mean? And, and how does this word make a difference here? What would be different if this word wasn't here? And he's meditating and he's lingering over God's word. And they're always with me. Your decrees are my meditation, he says. And so why is he loving it? Because he's learning to linger over it. And again, you may be new to the Bible, and the Bible can be a big and confusing book, and I get that. But there are things that if you just committed again to reading a chapter a day, you're going to find something in there. That makes sense to me. I get that. I don't get some of this other stuff, but I get this. And if you were just to commit to say, you know what, I'm going to write this down, and I'm going to linger over this today. I'm just going to linger over what does this mean for me? What would, what would be different in my life if I really believed that? Or just lingering and allowing God's truth to kind of simmer in your soul. It's that whole crockpot thing, right? You used to put a big old chunk of meat in a crockpot and throw some soup on top of it and you've got yourself a good supper, right dear? And you know, that's how we do it at our house. And so um, that's, that good, that's that good meal I was talking about. And so, um, um, and so, but as you linger 
And as it just kind of stews there and it sits there and it cooks there over a long period of time, it just cooks and the smells go and it just does all the things. And by the time you eat it, eight hours later, it's just permeated. And so oftentimes we read quickly in a rush, we put it aside and we go the rest of our day thinking nothing of what we have read or learned or observed when God shows us by example this lingering meditation kind of thing that we don't really do a lot of that spiritually. Here's the picture I guess I would show if you want to know what it would look like to linger. My dog loves dog bones. If we give my dog a dog bone, um, that dog sitting there holding that bone, what's that dog going to do on that bone? He is going to gnaw on that bone until it's gone. If, if your dog's like my dog, I give him a bone and he's going to chew on it day and night. I'm going to have to kick him off the bed because the dog won't let me sleep because he's gnawing on that bone and he's going to keep chewing and chewing and chewing on it until either his teeth are gone or the bone is gone. And one of these days his teeth are finally going to fall out and we'll have to listen to that grinding noise. But that's the picture, right? That's the picture of lingering over a truth, digging into it, learning it, trusting it, and, and, and just observing how it works in your life. And, and people who love learning from God are people who have learned to linger over his truths and realize, you know what, on the surface it says this. And it still says that as I dig deeper, but there's more to it. There's something to be gleaned into my life as I linger over his truths. The third part of that cycle as we move around is he, he loves it, and so he's learning. And so as he's learning, his lessons create a life of wisdom and clarity. As he learns... In step two, he kind of moves into all of a sudden these things begin to transform and permeate his life and he finds wisdom and he finds he has insight and he has understanding to things and as he's maturing and growing day by day by day in this, there's just this wisdom and clarity that he's found himself experiencing and I don't think it comes like that. There's no magic pill. There's no magic button. It's just a day-by-day day growth process of thinking, you know what? I learned this last month and I've added to it since then. And all of a sudden these things begin to add up into something. And he's wiser and he's got more insight and he's got understanding that he did not have before. And so he's learning and he's growing as God, as, as, his, as the Lord himself teaches him these things through his precepts. And that leads us then as he is creating this life of wisdom and clarity to this fourth thing I want you to see that, that this life that he's learning, that he's loving and he's learning and it's growing inside of him, this life then leads his steps. You know what he says that in verse 101, I have kept my feet from every evil path. What's he recognizing? There are lots of paths in my life that are not good. There are paths in my life that are evil. There is a good path that God has laid out for us that we should walk on. And the temptation is to say, I could wander down all these other paths. And so as I am loving God's word and as I'm learning from it and as it's working its way into my life, all of a sudden just the overflow of that is I learn, okay, I'm at a point of confusion. I'm at a point of temptation. I'm at a place of thinking, okay, what do I do next? in this relationship or with this financial decision or with this or with that or with this. All of a sudden, because I have loved and learned and allowed it to permeate my life, all of a sudden, the next step seemed a little more clear. Well, if God is this and God says to do this, then my next step ought to be probably this. And so he takes a step. I may not, there still may be a cloud, there may be fog, but, but the next step oftentimes becomes more clear. It may not be an easy step. It may not be a fun step, but it is a more clear step because I have loved and I have learned, and I have allowed that life to lead my steps. 
You see, that's the path of maturity and the path of growth that God brings to us as we follow him. I don't know Portia Nelson, I believe is how I say her name, but she wrote a book about your life. Uh, I didn't know if you knew that or not. There was an autobiography written about your life that I'd like to read for you. Portia Nelson wrote an autobiography in five short chapters about your life and about my life. And this is the autobiography of your life and my life. Chapter one. I walk down the streets. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I fall in. I am lost and helpless. It takes me forever to find a way out. Chapter two. I walk down the same street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I pretend I don't see it. I fall in again. I can't believe I'm in the same place. Again, it takes me a long time to get out. Chapter three. I walk down the same street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I see it. I still fall in. It's a habit. I know where I am and I climb out immediately. Chapter four. I walk down the same street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I tiptoe around it. Chapter five, I walk down another street. And I love that because that's the picture of as God grows, as his word infiltrates, all of a sudden I, I just see the next step. Like why would I step there again? I've learned this lesson, right? I, I learned because God is teaching me and growing me day by day through this that I don't wanna go down that street again. That's just nothing but trouble. So let's find a different way to do this. And so this leads his life steps. And number five, it circles back to where we begin. As all that process, I think, works in his life, where does it lead him back to? You see, he, he's back to this whole leading him thing leads him to love the Lord in his ways. It leads him back to where he begins. And so the beauty of this cycle is that I, I love God. I learn from him. I allow him to work into my life. And as I do, I begin to find that, man, that makes sense that God helped me to make a step and the wisdom begins to come into my life. And what am I doing as I do that? I'm confirming everything God says, that, God, your ways are good. Your ways are trustworthy. Your way is the best for me. And it just leads me back to loving him more. And I think the cycle just can continue in his life because he loves and he learns and he lingers and he's led by God and all of a sudden it just leads him back to loving God. Man, you were right, God. I'm sorry for all the old stupid ways I used to do my life because your way is good. Your way is right. It's righteous. It's best for me. Again, he says, how sweet your word is to my taste. I hate every false way. That's a powerful statement too. Because I think the more that you walk with God, I don't think he, he's saying I hate every person around me. But when he says I hate every false way, I think what he's really saying at the end of that is, man, I look at this good and perfect and really helpful, godly way to live my life. And I see all these other paths. And the more of goodness, the goodness I see that God, your way of living out my character or living out my relationships, my marriage or with my kids or in my life or in my career or just personal habits is as I follow that path I see how good it is and the more good that I see here the more I see the less good of those other paths and I hate any path that brings harm into my life that brings guilt and shame into my life I learn to hate paths that destroy relationships that I love and treasure. I learn to hate paths that hurt people and, and destroy families and, and ruin communities. I learn to hate paths that, that just damage life. It's not because I hate people. I just hate the, the lies that kind of fill in behind all these painful, hard things that we have in life. And, 
And it's, it's at this path that God's inviting us to. How sweet your word is to my taste. I hate every false way. And so I say all that, and I, I, I agree with, as I've looked over this, I, I, just, I think there's a, a good path there. But that leads me back to, uh, to my problem. There's a, there's a problem with this passage in this sermon. How do I get number one started? How do I kick off, okay, I love God's word enough to make it my life's voice? How do I love God's word enough to say, okay, I'm gonna start this cycle and hear it, loving God, teach me God, come. I wanna be your eager to learn students. How do I get there? Because that's a hard place for me sometimes to get to, right? Because life is busy, life is chaotic, life is a lot of demands and stresses and bumps along the road, hurts, hangups, all those kind of things. So how do we get there? How do we get this cycle moving? Well, I want to tell you a story as we finish. Um, and it's a story that you've heard before, but I think it's the story that really helps us to process how do I get from all the other worthless ways to really having a heart and a mind and a life that is engaged and focused on there is a God who speaks to me through his statutes and his truth and his gospel, and it's the best news I'm ever going to get. So I'm going to order my life around it. It's from Luke chapter 15. It's about a son who, for much of his early life, isn't really interested in what his dad has to say. And it says this in Luke 15, verse 11. It says, he also said a man had two sons. The younger of his sons, this is Jesus speaking, the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate I have coming to me. And so he distributed the assets to them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country. In other words, he didn't want to be at home anymore. I don't have time for dad. I don't have time for dad's speeches. I don't have time for dad's rules. I don't have dad, time for dad's responsibilities. I'm going to do this on my own. I've got it. And so he heads off to a distant country where he squandered his estates in foolish living. It begins to unravel around him. Sin is fun for a while, but it always has consequences to it. Continues, after he had spent everything, a severe famine also struck that country, and he had nothing. And then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to feed, to, excuse me, he longed to eat his fill from the carob pods the pigs were eating, but no one would give him any. So he longed, he's feeding pigs. I want to eat what they're eating. They won't even give me any of that. He's starving. He's lost. He's alone. His life has completely imploded. And so the next verse is one of my favorites in the Bible. When he came to his senses, what does he do? He has this terrible implosion of his life because he thought he had it all figured out. He's rich. He's resourced. He's got everything. He's got a plan. And all of a sudden it just begins to unravel around him. And so what does he do? He comes to his senses and he said, how many of my father's hired hands have more than enough food, and here I am dying of hunger. Again, the, the, the food thing comes back to, uh, to, to bear on our story, all right? Um, I'll get up, and I will go to my father. So how do we kick this cycle off? How do we begin this cycle of, of, of starting this whole thing, of, of just starting at a place where I come to God wanting to learn from him, wanting to learn and listen and, and to be what he wants me to be? I think it starts with, with a prayer. There's a posture that I bring to God, just like there was last week, that, that really we encourage you, if you want to be a good student of God's word, a learner of God's word, make those verses last week your prayer before you read. 
and see what God does through that. And I think the same thing is true here. Except the prayer this time is a little more painful because if your life is like mine, I pray most effectively when my ways have failed and I realize that my ways aren't gonna cut it and that there's a better way. And so I take my eyes off of myself, off of my own ideas, and I listen better, I look better, I trust better, I seek better, because my ways have kind of failed. God has frustrated them, or just the own consequences of my own dumb behavior have realized this isn't where I want to be. And so here's the prayer that I jotted down. I don't know if this is the right way to say this or not, but I'm gonna put it up here. How about this? Just the idea of bring me to the end of the road. You got that up there? Uh, Bring me to the end of the road. Maybe it's not up there. This is what I was gonna say anyway. Maybe? Nope, how about that? Uh, Bring me to the end of the road. And we'll be at the end of my sermon here too. How about that? Bring me to the end of my road. It's simply the prayer that I think, that as I process this, like how do I get there to point one? I think it's gotta be a, uh, a prayer of my heart. God, most days, if I don't really take intentional time to seek you with this kind of attitude, I'm just gonna do my day. I've got things to do, demands, busyness, distractions, things, and yet, God, would you bring me to the end of those things? Don't let me spend my life, my 20, 30, 40 years left, whatever it is, don't let me get to the end of that and realize all of a sudden that I've chased chased worthless things my entire life and I missed the things that mattered most. So God, would you hasten that? Help me to see quickly that this is a dead end road. This painful path is not where I wanna be. Help me to see that. Help me to have that prodigal son moment sooner rather than later. So God, bring me to the end of the road. Bring me to the end of myself. Bring me to the end of my pride. Bring me to the end of my rebellion. Bring me to the end of whatever sin, habit, hangup you've got. Bring me sooner than later, God, because I don't want to waste this life I've got. And it's when I get to the end of myself that I'm much more likely to come back to God and say, God, your ways are better. They are holier. They are just good for me. And I love them. And I want to know them. So teach me because I've just showed that I don't know what I'm doing very well with my life. And so that prayer, bring me to the end of the road, is my application. Now be careful about that, right? Because if you begin to say, God, would you show me the error of my ways? That may be a painful revelation, right? That may be a painful process that God says, okay, you really want to know? Excuse me, you really want to know? Puberty is setting in. You really want to know? And if you really want to know, God's probably going to show us. And that can be a painful process, but it is a beautiful process. But if it leads you back to point one to say, God, okay, I know I'm broken. I know I'm here. I know this didn't go like I thought it was gonna go, but I'm ready to learn. So teach me, speak into my life, help me to grow. And so uh, don't pray it unless you mean it because it's, it's a painful prayer sometimes. But it's the prayer that I think that leads us back to really where we need to be to live this out. And so that's what we've got today, all right? So that's my encouragement for you. I, I want us to love God's word. I want us to appreciate the beauty of this book And we do it as we bring a posture of God, would you lead me, direct me, teach me? And it's God, would you help me to see the worthless things in my life for the worthless things they are and help me to see the beauty of your word, to see the beauty of your instruction, the beauty of your gospel for me because it's the only news that can save me.